According to the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Centre, elder fraud cost Americans over the age of 60 more than $966 million in 2020. Here are the top ways to deceive an old person. The romance scam dating friendship app. They pretend to build up a friendship and in time pretends to be an emer- pretends that there's a, an emergency and ask them for money to get alongside a, an elderly person for comradeship and friendship and in time uh, ask for money is the number one. Number two, the tech support scams. There's a call saying that there's a flaw in your security, some sort of problem with your computer uh, and they offer to help you fix it, then they'll ask you to send them personal information, payments, or, or grant them remote access uh, to your computer. That's the second. The third, grandparent scams. Some swindlers take a more personal approach. They pose as a grandchild or a family member. And they often call their targets and ask for financial assistance to get out of dire situations like legal trouble. And these scammers research their targets so they're able to use family names, personal information to earn their trust. Then we have home repair fraud, investment scams, care packages uh, for loved ones. $966 million later, elderly people have been scammed, have been deceived out of their money. See who a deceiver is. A deceiver, as we read about in 2 John, is one who misleads another or others by a false appearance or statement, especially one who does so habitually. That's who a deceiver is. Think about what we're remembering today. The whole of the Second World War was caused by a deceiver, one that promised more but was deadly in his deceiving. And today John's addressing the danger to the church. Do you remember if you were here last week? Look at the verse right at the beginning if you've got your Bible open. To the lady chosen by God. We said that John is actually writing about a church. Often um, the writers in the New Testament would use the feminine language to talk around the church. So it's not a personal lady. It's not one lady. It is the church when we read that. To the church chosen by God. And you see what he's saying in verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Not one, not two, not a handful. There are many who have gone and infiltrated other little churches and are teaching untruths. Remember where we finished last week, if you were with us, if you weren't, this is where we were at. We finished at verse 6 in 2 John. The words at the beginning of John... Now give us the reason why he has been admonishing these Christians to to do what? Do you remember? To walk in the truth in verse 4. Verse 6, as you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So John is saying, look, walk in truth, walk in love. Why? Verse 7, I say this, I say walk in truth, walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. This is why John has spent time, we looked at it last week, 
They say, walk in love, walk in truth. Why? Because there are deceivers. It's like he's saying, here's the safety net. This is how you keep in check. Walk in truth and walk in love with others. That's how we can be sure we're being alert to deceivers who have been and who have come and who will come. Remember, we stated Christian love, walking in love as this. We'll read it on screen. Christian's love is not an involuntary, uncontrollable passion, but unselfish service undertaken by deliberate choice. It's not a fleeting emotion, Christian love. As you walk with people at town church, if you're a regular here, you'll know that it's a commitment too. It's intentional. It's to spend time with people that perhaps you wouldn't get on with usually. But we're called to love each other, to spend time together. We're called to keep pointing each other to Jesus. Remember the circle where we finished last week. Do you remember it if you know the truth? The truth then enables you to love. Love not as an involuntary and controllable passion, but unselfish service undertaken by deliberate choice. And as we love, we we know that that's obedient. And as we are being obedient, we know the truth more. And as we know the truth more, we're able to love others and a desire to be obedient to him. Instead of calling it the vicious circle, we called it the victorious circle. This is what living as a Christian looks like. It's what living as a, a Christian church looks like. And John says it's the safety net knitted together in truth and love when the deceivers come knocking. Here's the, the safety net. This is what, uh, if you have in place, this is what will Look after you. This is what will make sure that you're not deceived. Because there are many, John says. Many that have gone into the world. Many deceivers. In this case, it's around a particular doctrine, a certain truth. Often we read throughout the New Testament, it's around truth, but also around disunity. That's how the devil wants to work. As we think about applying this to ourselves today, we've got to think clearly about some of the challenges that we face as Christians. What are people saying about the Christian faith? Where are they saying, no, no, it it can't be true. It's not true. Don't believe that it's true. Where perhaps are they trying to get a foothold to disunite the church? In so many places. So we'll think more about how we apply uh, some of these teachings of John. Two things we're going to look at simply. I think John is just helping the churches. It's funny, isn't it, the book of 2 John? I don't know if you've ever spent time in 2 John. Uh, This is the first time for me, really, a deep dive into 2 John. And you're asking the question, why? Why is this in the canon of Scripture? Why is it in our Bible? Because there was a time when decisions were made as to what books went in the Bible. And so I have been scratching my head a little thinking, why was it so important for this book to be included in the canon of Scripture? And of course, we have John's gospel 
And we have then one John, two John, three John written by the same man. Uh, of course, we will know John three sixteen, and for God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son, so on and so forth. And then we get to the letters of John, and of course, he he continues to drive through what he's so passionate about to help people understand the love of God, so that they can then walk in that love and walk with others in love. And, and the second letter of John here is simply a demonstration of that in action at a specific place to a specific group of people at a specific time. It's a very deliberate letter. That's why it's included here, so that we would see that there's an occasion that John speaks into. This isn't just a, a fairy tale or a dream or a good thought or some helpful words for us to grasp today, some concepts and ideologies to get our heads around. This was a specific letter to a group of people who were at the point of being deceived. And we then take this, try and understand it, and we then apply it to our lives. And so I think John does two things. He helps us understand the deceivers. And then he helps us understand what it looks like to resist uh, the deceivers. So to understand and identify um, the deceivers. What do they believe? What do they believe? There in verse 7, look. John, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. What do they believe? They believe that the Son of God has not come in the form of a human. Everything that we will celebrate this Christmas, of course. They say, no, the Son of God has not come in that way. They deny the true identity of Jesus. And, and, and usually this is very subtle. Uh, it, it, it might be deliberate here, uh, but think of it in our context. It's quite subtle. These deceivers then, they've gone out into the world. John says it's very deliberate and he uses language to help us understand how deliberate that is. It's like they were apostles sent out. The apostles have been sent out. It's it's like they're like them, itinerant preachers on a mission to mislead. Very deliberate. We shouldn't be shocked. The devil in all of his schemes, in tempting Jesus, just have to read in John's gospel. What he was trying to do was to stop Jesus from trusting in his father God. Do you remember the temptations in the wilderness? And then when Jesus almost got to the cross, it was the devil's work to try and stop him. From going to the cross. And when the devil could not stop Jesus from going to the cross. Then the devil's work post the cross and resurrection. Has all been about trying to deceive Christians. Deceiving them by misguiding them in truth or in disunity. To distort the truth about Jesus and to, dis- and to mislead. And John is saying, look who they are. They're deceivers. And he uses this word antichrist. It's, of course, it's not a, a little red devil running around with horns on 
uh, as we might perceive the Antichrist is such a loaded word, we'd never use it in everyday language, of course, would we? So we're thinking, oh, this is a big, big deal. And John's simply saying, yes, it is a big deal, but look, they go in ordinary form. Perhaps in black jeans and a green jumper. Perhaps. And you see, that's why we leaders of the church say, do you know we've got to be so careful? Because I don't want you just listening to my words as though I had anything clever or good to say to you, because I don't. And I know Johnny and Simon certainly don't. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it in that order. That They definitely don't. <laughs> but we don't. Collectively, we don't have anything good to say. It is why we will just keep saying, look at God's word. All we're trying to do is help you see something more. And we ask for the Spirit's help to take the words of the Bible and take my words that I'm speaking. And we say and pray to God that he by his Spirit would teach. Just in case we've not quite got the truth right. Or just in case that by some kind of evil methods we're trying to distort the truth and therefore misguide people in front. Now hopefully... That's not happening. But it's why we always say keep Bible open. Don't trust me. Trust God's word. What's the big deal about Jesus coming in the flesh? Why is this such a big deal to John? Couldn't they have just said, oh, look, Jesus, um, yeah, it wasn't God who came in flesh. But I tell you what, his teaching was incredible. John's saying, no, 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 that's not good enough. Couldn't he have just said, oh, yeah, he didn't come in flesh, but he's shown his love for us so much uh, that that the act of love shown at the cross was, was like any other we've seen. That is love. Couldn't they have just said that? John's saying, no, the big deal about the, G- the identity of Jesus is crucial. It is crucial. <coughs> Two natures at the birth of Jesus, his manhood and his Godhead, united, never to be divided. Why is it so important for John and important for us to grasp the humanity of Jesus? Here's the simple answer. If he did not come as man, if God did not come as man, then he could never take the punishment for all mankind. For he had to be of like to accept the punishment that is due for the rejection of God as ruler, as Lord of all. Maybe some of you have noticed in verse 7. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. John often just weaves in a twist, like, like he combines the perfect and the present tenses to refer to the past and to the future as coming in the flesh. Why didn't he say had come in the flesh? And it's like John does this. He, he, he makes us guess a little bit and saying, look, he came once, Jesus is saying he came once in the flesh, the God man. And he will come again in the flesh. He's alive and he's real. He lives in heaven. And he will come again. And he's like John, he's just holding that thought for us. If you don't understand the identity of Jesus as the man who came, then you won't 
get what's coming to happen. And here's the promise. The promise that all Christians can hold on to. He is returning. He will come back. He came. And he is coming. Helen said it. That I think she prayed that we would be excited for Christmas. It's when we celebrate the coming of the God-man. Thank God for Christmas. I'm looking forward to it very much. To celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus. And he is coming. Thank God that your future is secure. He's coming. Here's the promise. He is coming back to take those who are his home. How do, we, how do we identify the believers in what they believe? They're saying that Jesus, the son of God, has not come in the form of a human. And secondly, it's, it's what they do. It's what they believe and also what they do. Look, they've gone out into the world. Again, this is significant for John. The word world means outsiders, unbelievers. It's like they've become outsiders and unbelievers. And they've gone out into the world. They've become one of them. What else did they do? In verse 8, you'll see that they've run ahead. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be fully rewarded. Anyone who runs ahead in verse 9. Remember, John's called us to walk. It's quite significant, this. He's called us to walk in truth and walk in love. And you see what the deceivers are doing. They're running ahead. Walk in love, walk in truth means that we, we're intentional and we go steady. And when we run ahead, John is pointing to, it means that we're, we're, we're going beyond. We're moving forward too fast. It's like they, they promise more than what the truth says. See what they do? They go into the world. They run ahead. And they don't continue in faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see that in verse 9? And anyone who doesn't continue in faith in Jesus Christ does not have God. Be careful of those who say, oh, oh, I believe in God, but I'm not sure where I am on Jesus. John's saying you do not have God. It's quite simple. You can't have God and say you don't have Jesus. You can't have him. God is in Jesus only. Jesus and God, that's what our faith is in. And so John is saying, you see what these Deceivers do. They don't continue in faith in Jesus. That's how we're to identify the deceivers. And then secondly, look, this is what it looks like to resist the deceivers. And we've got to distinguish between the deceivers and and doubters, haven't we? There are doubters in life. I think there are many times that I doubt in life. I'm talking to friends now who are doubting in life. So let's distinguish between the deceivers and the doubters. That's quite important that we do that. So who are deceivers for for us? But John is saying, look, resist them. But think about today. What does a deceiver look like? Could it be the, the church vicar, the pastor who denies the identity of Jesus? The, the church pastor that, that now has come to the conclusion uh, by saying that Jesus, Jesus is a way back to God. But there are many more ways back to him. 
Could it, could it be that? Could it be the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormon missionary trying to persuade you at the front door? It could be that. And could it then be a friend who is just doubting their faith in who Jesus is? Well, well, no, I don't think so. I don't think John is saying resist, resist that deceiver because they're simply doubting. They're not trying to find a, a place within the church to teach others. They're, they're just simply doubting your friend who might be doubting their faith or your friend who's not a Christian and doubting what, what you believe in. They're not deceivers, of course, but it's, it's just worth distinguishing between the deceivers and the doubters. For those Deceivers, whoever they may be. Verse 8, John says, watch out. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for. Look, there's a negative and a positive. Watch out that you do not lose. And then there's a positive. But that you may be rewarded fully. Do you see that? Of course, we've got to be really careful around the language of rewards. We've got to get our heads around this. We know that salvation has been won for us. We know that it's nothing that I've earned. It's nothing, nothing that I deserve. It's nothing that I've performed towards. It's not a reward in that sense. It's not. I haven't won it or earned it or deserved it. But, but, but I don't want to lose the reward that has been won for me. I, I want to work hard at holding on to that reward. I want to work really hard in in continuing to trust because it's hard work to continue to trust that Jesus has won it. Hold on, says John. Work hard continuing to trust Jesus for your full reward. And of course, this is how we, we resist. The heretics, the deceivers, they've run ahead. They've gone ahead don't run ahead would be the direct application. Don't. Resist perhaps the temptation to seek after more. What might that look like for us at Town Church? To run ahead, to expect more or, or, or to think that there's more that's promised, more that I deserve today. Think of the health, wealth and prosperity gospel. So much of what is found on, on the God channel so much, not all, but so much uh, around that ilk of teaching. Expect more, you're promised more. Pray these prayers or give this money and you will get well. Oh, how dangerous. How dangerous that is. They've run ahead. Perhaps for us it's around spirituality. Promised around the the filling of the spirit. Oh, we've got to be so careful around any language of, of being filled by the spirit that does not focus and centre upon the man Jesus Christ. The Christian, John is saying, must be conservative with the truth, not progressive with the truth. Never one for labels, but, but it's why perhaps town church is, is known as a conservative evangelical church. Because we, we seek to continue in the doctrine of Christ. We seek to continue in the truth of Christ, not move beyond it, not hope for more that's promised to us. Because it's all been in Christ, it's all been found in him. 
And so Christianity is being attacked for its conservative, fundamentalist view of a view and way of living. And something like sexuality is a big deal and a big way that the society, society can point the finger and say you're outdated, you're prehistoric, you need to move on, be progressive and therefore inclusive. See what this looks like for John. There are deceivers who are saying that Jesus Christ has not come as the son of God, that he's not come as a human, as the son of God. You see how, of course, deceivers can be deceiving us in all sorts of different areas. John says, do not take them into your house in verse 10 or do not welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Serious. Is John saying, ignore my teaching about love? Is he saying, um, ignore the great commandment that we looked at last week to love? Well, John's saying, no, 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 not when the truth is at stake. Do not give false teachers a platform to let them teach. It's why we guard the teaching platform at Town Church. It's why we won't let anyone to come in and and teach. Of, Of course we won't. John's quite clear that if we welcome them, we share in their wicked work. We can't lovingly give people a platform to teach untruths about Jesus, to lead others away. It's quite a serious book too, John, isn't it? It's a warning, but it's based on walking in truth and walking in love That's the safety net. Don't go alone, says John. We're always in danger of running ahead. Here's the antidote for resisting such deceivers and therefore resisting any teaching that deceives. Remember in verse 5, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. Why do we love one another in this context? Because as we love one another and walk in love together and look after each other, we will protect ourselves from those deceiving messages from the world and from those in the world who are trying to point the finger at Christianity and say it's rubbish, it's untrue. And verse 6, this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Do you see how we as a church, we need each other? You see that? And see as a church when we share time over food and drink and we talk and we discuss and we talk about how the week is going and, and, and what it looks like to live as a Christian in a tough working place. I, I need to share that. Otherwise, I'm in danger of running ahead or, or, or holding on to promises that God has never promised that I'll be all right there. I need someone just to go and pull me back and say, well, keep trusting Keep digging in. Keep speaking to others about the hope that you have. It's walking in the truth that enables us to walk in love, that enables us to live obedient lives, that enables us to focus more on the truth, that enables us to love others more, that enables us to live obedient lives and you get the victorious circle. John writes with passion to people he loves. And he says... Yet in such a way, because he knows some will be deceived. 
Some will walk away. Some will follow the deceivers. Some will leave the faith behind. And it's why we teach such things. Because we want the people of town church to stay united, living in truth, walking in truth, walking in love and being obedient to him. We're going to sing of such truths that remind us of what walking in the truth and therefore walking in love uh, would look like. Let's sing these words together. And as we sing, know that as we sing, we praise God, but we also encourage each other as we hold on to such truths in the midst of a, a world that desperately wants to deceive, desperately wants us to move away from the truth, desperately wants us to get comfortable in life and not think about such wonderful truths on which we base our life upon. So uh, let's sing of us glorifying as a church in the one who saved us in our Redeemer. Let's stand and we'll sing together.